All right, Ten Commandments. Are you ready for number four? I'm not. But here I am. I cannot do otherwise. <laughs> uh, all right, here we go. Years ago, the Dutch theologian A. Van Selms wrote about his country of Holland at that time, and he wrote this. He visualized what was going on across all of Holland and almost every home at that time period. He says, what was going on in all of Holland in multiple homes almost every one of them in that country at that time. And he visualized it and he said serious quarrels were going on. He said serious quarrels were raising many a blood pressure in a Holland home. In fact, he estimated that in 10,000 homes every week, serious quarrels were going on. And these 10,000 quarrels every week were all happening on the same day, Sunday. When he added up the numbers, he came to a half a million quarrels a year in Holland over the same thing in Holland homes. He said he would leave it to the statisticians to calculate how many nervous disorders <laughs> resulted from this. How many nervous breakdowns resulted from these serious quarrels going on in Holland homes across the land. What were these serious quarrels about? Answer. What was and what was not permissible on the Sabbath? In other words, what did it mean to keep the Sabbath, resulting in making it holy? The late Edmund Clowney, he was a former president of Westminster Theological Seminary in Philadelphia. He recalled being allowed to read paperback books throughout all the week, six days, except on Sunday he was only allowed to read hardback books. When he had a family of his own, he wanted to instill Sabbath keeping into his family, into his children, into his home, into his life, and he attempted to do so. And one Sunday, he walked in on his son playing dominoes, and this startled his son. His son quickly pointed to one side of the domino board and says, those are the Israelites, he stammered. These are the Philistines. Now, most of us hear this, and we can't imagine living in a world like that. Most of us. I mean, this, looks, this is like uh, leave it to beaver meets the Nazis or something. Isn't it? Because why? For us. I mean, when we come to think about Sunday, Sunday is not any extraordinary special day. Sunday is a normal, everyday, common kind of day for us. If it has any specialness to it, it only something that it has specialness in that it's one more day in the weekend. One more day to not work, one more day to play. Certainly not a day to get our blood pressure all up in a boil. So here we are at the fourth commandment. A commandment about Sabbath keeping. What is the fourth commandment about? What does it mean? What does it not mean? What does it mean to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy? Are our only choices... Nazi Sunday or nap Sunday? Is that, is that all there is? You either become a Nazi on Sunday or you take a nap on Sunday. Is that all it is about? Hmm. I wonder. Well, Bible scholar, minister, professor, and author, Jay Dumas said, the fourth commandment is the most controversial of them all. So welcome to the most controversial commandment of the ten. Please stand for the hearing of God's word.
Many of you probably have this passage memorized. This is our fourth time to read it. You ready? And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Now remember, that's the lens by which you look through to interpret and apply the commandments rightly. If you miss verse 2, you will misread the rest and misapply the rest. So the lens of redemption is the lens by which you look at the commandments. Okay? In other words, grace. Uh, You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them, serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. It should be this. Remember the Sabbath day for the purpose of keeping it holy. Remember the Sabbath day because when you do, it results in keeping it holy. You get the picture? Okay. Six days you shall do your labor, do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You, your sons, your daughters, your servant, your male servant, female servant, livestock, sojourner, in other words, guest, visitor who is within your gates. For in the six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, made it holy. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house, wife, male servant, female servant, ox, donkey, anything that's your neighbor's. Now when all the people saw the thunder and flashes of lightning and the sound of the battle trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us. And we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. I have the uh, sinus crud with all the changes, so I'll periodically have to dip into the water. All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you draw near your people. As the scripture says, the word is near you. It's on our lips. It's near our heart. This word about another. And so, Lord, would you... Open the doors of our minds and our hearts by the power of your word, by the person of your spirit. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, I invited over 20 ministers to preach this Sunday. At first they enthusiastically said, yes, I would love to. I told them we're preaching through the Ten Commandments. Great, great. I said, you'll be preaching the fourth commandment for me this Sunday. (coughs) Jeff, uh, (coughs) having trouble hearing you. (coughs) Uh, uh, Must be a bad connection. (coughs) Uh, Yeah, I just looked on my iCal. Sorry, bro. Busy. Click. Okay, I made that up. But I didn't make this up. 
The first written record, the first written record in the Bible of the religious leaders getting so outrageously mad at Jesus, the first written record that they got so outrageously mad at Jesus and plotted to kill him, the plots to kill Jesus happened right after he breaks the fourth commandment in the religious leader's eyes when he healed somebody on the Sabbath. I didn't make that one up. So here's the irony. Considering all the negative press that the fourth commandment gets, the fourth commandment and the fifth commandment are the only two commandments that are positive. They're the only ones that aren't do not. They're the only ones that are stating something positively. And therein lies the secret to understanding this commandment. And therein lies the misunderstanding and misapplication of this commandment. Because this simple observation shows us that this commandment is a command for your joy, a command for your rest, a command for delight, a command for your utmost happiness, a command for your humanity, a command that actually makes you more human. Wow. Do you understand the fourth commandment that way? Here's our plan. We're going to tackle what the fourth commandment meant originally. That's very, very important. And then we're going to tackle what it means for us today. Very, very important. And then, because we will not have time, next week we'll specifically look at applications of the fourth commandment for us today. All right? You with me? So let's go back into time. The fourth commandment does this. It's spotlighting the quest of all quests. It, it spotlights the quest that is behind every movie, every paperback and hardback book, every Wall Street tycoon in New York City, and the quest behind every housewife in Waco. It spotlights it spotlights the quest for rest. And I'm talking about a rest that's beyond napping. A rest beyond needing a vacation, needing to take a break from the stress of life, the needing to carve out some time just for you. I'm talking about a rest that's beyond the mother with child or childs, needing adult conversation and adult interaction. Needing a date night with her husband or a night out with the ladies or a trip to the spa or some help with the laundry and some help with cleaning the house. I'm talking about rest beyond that. I'm talking about rest beyond the workaholic's 24-7 lifestyle. The neglect of his family. The burning bitterness growing in his wife and his children. And the heart attack around the corner before he's 50. I'm talking about the rest beyond that. The fourth commandment points to real rest, a cosmic rest, and herein lies the problem. Real rest is like chasing a rabbit. You might be able to see it, but there's no way you're going to catch it. It's way too elusive. And so ultimately, the quest for rest ends in disappointment. And all of a sudden, the fourth commandment enters in and says, in the midst of everyone's disappointment, says, I command you to have rest. You've got to be kidding me. 
in a quest for rest that's unattainable and disappointing, God walks in and says, rest. So here we are. Now, we're getting a little ahead of ourselves, so we've got to first break this down a little bit into more manageable pieces. I want, we're going to kind of take this down. Look at verse 8. See the word remember? Remember here is more than mental recognition. All right? Remember the Sabbath. Remembering it's more than, okay, yeah, I got it. Mental recognition. I mean, ask any husband who does not remember the wife's anniversary in some real concrete remembrance fashion. Or the birthday, or the first kiss, or the first time they held hands, the first time they bought that furniture, whatever. Right? I mean, what would happen if a husband did not remember that this was the year they were going to have Christmas at the in-laws? You know, the wife's parents, for some of you. This was the year he forgot, he didn't remember. Instead, he planned. <laughs> I have fun with this. Instead, he made plans, and he already spent money, the real kind of money, the non-refundable kind on those plans. You know, the kind to go to his alma mater's bowl game with his buddies. What if he forgot? I mean, we know in the Bible and in normal relations, to remember requires action. A concrete demonstration of remembrance is required. When God remembered Israel in Egypt as slaves, it meant action. He did something. He delivered them. So to remember the Sabbath requires action, and here and that's the catch. How do you remember in a way that requires concrete action? The Sabbath. How does the text say to remember the Sabbath? Do you hear the crickets chirping? We're not told. Except for possibly one thing in 9 and 10. Look at verse 9 and 10. Six days you do your labor, do all your work. Seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, female servant, livestock, sojourner who's within your gates. Okay, so no work on the seventh day. No work on the Sabbath day, but what is work? What's the work that needs to stop? What's the work that needs to cease? All right, we're breaking this thing down. We're starting with remember. It requires certain action. Okay, i got to remember. What am I supposed to remember? Chirp, chirp. Well... Something about work. Okay, what's work? Help me here. <laughs> what's work? What's the work that needs to stop on the Sabbath? Well, the religious people in Jesus' day got very, very specific on what stopping work meant. I mean, they went to great lengths to specifically specify what stopping or ceasing work on the Sabbath meant. They did things like this. They had, you could walk five steps on the Sabbath. One, two, three, four, five, but you had to rest on the fifth step before you could take the sixth. And then you could do your five again. <laughs> Women could not wear ribbons in their hair on the Sabbath day because that would be carrying a burden. 
I thought, that's an interesting one, isn't it? You could not drag a stick on the Sabbath day because that would be plowing. Women with gray hair. I hope men don't pick out their gray hair because that's just way too weird. But women with gray hair, if you pull out your gray hair, that is forbidden on the Sabbath because that would be reaping. So here's the point. When the quest for rest, as Paul and, P, as Paul and Jesus prove over and over again in their time, when the quest for rest is sought in control and in standards and moral performance, you suffocate yourself, you suffocate those around you in your works righteousness. You do damage. And it doesn't matter what form it comes in. It could be your rules, your preferences. It could be your perfectionisms. It could be areas that you want to control and areas that you seek accomplishment. It could be your external uh, and comparisons with other people. It doesn't matter what those things could be. But I want you to, to not miss the bottom line here. The fourth commandment does not specifically answer the question, what is work? It doesn't. Now, historically, historically, the church historically has interpreted it a certain way, and I think it's a good way, and I think it's a right way. And this is what they mean. Historically, it's this. Six days you do your normal life work, your normal life labor. The seventh day you do not. The six days are filled with normal, everyday life, vocational calling work. And that means whether you're paid for it or not. Like the housewife. And then the seventh day, that work stops, that work ceases. And this meant everyone's normal life work stopped. Did you see that? Everyone. Look at the text. Children, servants or employees, animals, visitors, guests in your home. I mean, I love to see how they got like their chocolate lab to, well, ours has no problem taking a Sabbath rest. Or on any other of the days, quite frankly, he always rests. But taking your animals, making them rest. So the biggest question about the Sabbath is not what work to stop. If that was the biggest question about the Sabbath, verse 11 would be different. Verse 11 would specify what work specifically needs to stop. The biggest question about the Sabbath is not what work needs to stop, but why there is one. The biggest question about the Sabbath is, why a Sabbath? Why does God want us to stop our normal life, everyday work on the Sabbath day? Now, there are certainly good reasons, self-evident reasons, humanitarian reasons, and creational reasons for physical and emotional rest, right? Everyone knows that. We are created creatures. We are dependent, needy people. We are not self-sufficient people. We get hungry. Our muscles get sore. We run out of emotional gas. And so we need physical and emotional break. We're not God. No matter how much we think we are, we're not. And so there are good, self-evident, humanitarian, creational reasons to take a break. I mean, those, that's good enough news for the former slaves who are in Egypt who work 24-7. That would have been great news for them. What? A day of not working? 
But there's more, a bigger why, more that God wants to give you than that kind of rest. Why does God want us to take a break from our normal everyday life, work on the Sabbath? The answer is found in verse 11. Do you see it? I hope your, I hope your translation begins with the word for. That's telling you why. Why he just said what he said. For in the six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So if we were to go back, that's actually an account of going back to Genesis. And remember, Genesis was given, was inscribed or was inscripturated. The word of God was inscripturated around this time. They didn't have Genesis in Abraham's day. The inscripturation of the of the Genesis account, the creation account, and all the patriarchs, the inscripturation of all that happened there is happening right now around this time period. So back when those events were happening in creation, the events are written about in Genesis. And each day in Genesis ends with these words. There was morning and evening the first day. Then you had the second day events. There was morning and evening the second day. And then you have the third day events. There was morning and evening the third day. Fourth day. Fifth day. Sixth day. Seventh day. The refrain's missing. There was no morning and evening. The seventh day was different. The seventh day was special. The seventh day is not like the other six. The seventh day is a day that never ends. The seventh day is the day God rested. Now I know what you're thinking of right now. I did when I first heard that. What do you need? God need to take a breather. It's not that kind of rest. God wasn't tired. The picture of rest here and in Genesis, if that picture was read to an ancient Near Eastern person, they knew exactly what that meant. Oh, that was the rest of a king taking his throne. It's a royal rest. It's the rest of a king who reigns over his kingdom. It's the rest of a king who sits enthroned over all that he had made, completely in control of all that he had made. It's the royal rest of a king who's in his place of paradise, ruling and reigning. That's the rest that's talked about here. That's the seventh day. So the earthly Sabbath day, the seventh day, now I'm talking about the earthly one. The earthly Sabbath day, the earthly seventh day is a visible sign stamped into creation of a cosmic, ultimate, royal, eternal rest of God. So the earthly seventh day Sabbath is a visible sign of an otherworldly, 
more real, more powerful reality. God's cosmic rest, real rest. Okay, you with me? If you don't get that, we just pack up and let's go home. That's the meaning of the Sabbath. So what happens here is that the cosmic rest was what Adam was supposed to enter into and supposed to lead all of us into by his work. In other words, what was held out for Adam was this cosmic, eternal, seventh-day rest. God takes his place in his kingdom, his throne, the invisible heavens, reigning and ruling. Remember, the pictures in Scripture are he's in his throne. His feet are on earth. His, everything else is in his kingdom invisible kingdom, the invisible creation. Remember, when Isaiah comes into contact with the throne room of God, he only sees the bottom part of his robe. The rest of it is in that seventh day kind of place. All right? In that place, Adam, by his obedience, because he's an image bearer, if he works, obeys, is covenantly loyal, he will enter into that cosmic rest of God. What we call in the scriptures, and if you're a theologian, you like to throw the word around because it makes you look good, consummation. The consummate kingdom of God. So the the fullest and final fulfillment of heaven was still awaiting. And it was awaiting a servant's obedience who would lead all of creation triumphantly to the promised land. But he failed. He disobeyed. He sinned. So, watch what's going on here in Exodus though. God forms a new people from the dust. From slavery. He leads the new people to the border of a new land, a land that's interestingly described in Garden Eden-like language. So God forms a new people, leads them to a new land, and now gives them the visible sign, the earthly Sabbath day, of his invisible, cosmic, conquering, eternal Rest, And if you're a follower of the scriptures, tracking with me, I give you a little bonus here. That's what Hebrews is talking about. Entering into that Sabbath rest, that's what that's talking about. Okay, that's enough for you. Let's go back here. Will Israel do any better than Adam is the question here. Will Israel be, as a nation, the one that keeps covenant with God, which is keeps these Ten Commandments and enters into this Sabbath rest? Will Israel do that? Will Israel finally be the servant before the king who loyally, lovingly, perfectly performs the way they're supposed to and enters into the Sabbath rest? And as Paul Harvey might say, well, we do know the rest of the story, right? And we know that in a couple chapters, the golden calf is coming. And we know enough about Israel's history that it's filled and loaded with failure after failure after failure after failure. And those of us that have been in Galatians, we know that Paul looks back at all his Israel's history and says, Israel's failure is a teacher to lead you somewhere else. Okay, so we got one more shot at this. 
one more maybe opportunity for some servant to come along and lead us to the promised land. So there's one more shot for a faithful servant. Here it is. How about you? How about me? Do we faithfully, loyally, lovingly, perfectly keep the Ten Commandments? If so, you're in. So the quest for rest in human history ends in cosmic disappointment every time. The way is shut. Or is it? Look at verse 11. You see verse 11? Put your finger on it. Look at it. In the six days, the Lord made heaven and earth. All right? So the the king that's talked about here in verse 11, the Lord that's talked about here in verse 11, look at it. Find him. He's there. You know what he does? He leaves his throne. This king leaves his throne, leaves paradise, leaves this cosmic Sabbath eternal rest and shockingly takes the place of the missing servant. Because what's needed is a servant that will obey the king to finally bring creation to the Sabbath rest. And the king from his throne finds no servants. And so he steps out and the king becomes the servant. And this king who becomes the servant obeys all the Ten Commandments. And obeying all the Ten Commandments perfectly, perpetually, Lovingly, faithfully, in obeying all the Ten Commandments, he secures the most treasured possession in all the cosmos, the most treasured possession in all the universe. He secures the righteousness of God. The only way to enter into cosmic rest, a declaration of the righteousness of God. So the king becomes a servant, obeys the Ten Commandments, secures the righteousness of God. The king who becomes a servant takes Adam's, takes Israel's, takes multitudes upon multitudes, sins upon himself, and carries them to the cross. And at the cross, the divine judge pours out cosmic justice on the servant. until there's no more left. And then, three days later, a stone rolls away from a now empty tomb, and the king who became a servant steps out into the sunlight of the creation he made. And 40 days later, he ascends to the right hand of the throne of God. And enters in cosmic Sabbath rest. You 
And when he did, there was no morning and there was no evening. The seventh day. Now, brothers and sisters, the quest for rest ends in Jesus. The source of real rest is Jesus. The pattern's changed. Before it was work six to get the rest. That was the pattern for Adam. That was the pattern for Israel. But now the pattern's different, and this is what we'll look at next week. The pattern now is begin with rest and now work. Work out of rest, not work to get rest. So the source of rest, real rest, is only found in Jesus. And so this means to enter His rest. That's your rest. To enter His rest by trusting His work for you, you enter into His rest, which is your rest. And so this also means something else. You've got to stop and cease all your work. Verse 9 and 10 is absolutely correct. You have to stop and cease all your work, all your effort, all your self-salvation tactics, all your control, all your success, all the ways you try to save yourself. You've got to cease and desist, stop those work, and enter into His work. And so real rest comes from resting from your work and entering into His work. See the difference? Okay. So rest from His work, rest from your work to rest in His work for you. Next week, we will unpack, given that, what does it mean now on the earthly Seventh day, which is now Sunday, because that's the day that Jesus rose from the dead, because the resurrection is the pivotal point of the eternal rest becoming true. Of finally there being a faithful servant that actually takes creation and takes humanity, all his brothers and sisters, into the eternal rest. Because of that, that's why the early church changed the Sabbath from Saturday to Sunday because it's the day of the resurrection. That's the day in which all the promises of the Sabbath, ultimate Sabbath rest, shown and pictured in the earthly one is fulfilled. Okay, you with me? So now, given Jesus is our rest, what does it mean to specifically keep the Sabbath holy on the earthly one for Christians now? Next week. Next week. Amen.